You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John, the first letter of John is at the back of your Bibles. If you're not sure where that is, just keep going to the right. If you see Revelation, come back here. You'll find the Johns. And uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 today. As we uh, get ready to get into that together, I pray that you will uh, endeavor to think with me for a second about what we've been doing for the past few weeks. We have been walking through what it means to practice the way of Christianity. It is a path, it is a journey, it is ongoing, it is not something that you do one time and you're done. It's not something that you just roll through the motions with and go to church, go to Sunday school, being a part of a a small group. It's not just a thing that you do as you get up and pray in the mornings over coffee, read a little Bible. There's practices of Christianity that Jesus exemplified, showed us, demonstrated for us, ones that he leads us toward that through his word we are to endeavor in. And we've been walking through those for several weeks, and we come today to one that is kind of married with the one we talked about last week, an examination, called it self-examination, but we know it includes God searching us, examining us. But this particular one, I think, is probably, for us as the church, one of the ones that's the most least practiced in the context of relationships with others. It's one that is probably one of the most difficult for us to practice because of the ramifications of doing so. It's one that I think we will find is in much need for our own lives personally and for the body of believers that we call the church. And it's also in one that I think that if evidenced in the church and in our relationships would be probably one of the most impactful on our community around us. And so as we look at it today, although it's laced with fear and struggle, I hope today that as we study this topic of confession, that we will do so with ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open for the Lord to prick our hearts and to show us where we need to repent personally and maybe corporately. And also we need to pray for repentance of our entire church. I say that with a capital C, the church across the world that we would be pictures of this confession. We talk about confessing a lot when we talk about our confession, which is in Jesus Christ. But today we're going to talk specifically about confession when it comes to sin. And this particular passage in 1 John really hits it well for us, but let me show you some places where it's in Scripture, in the New Testament explicitly. It's in the Old Testament as well, all throughout it. But even before Jesus comes on the scene officially, beginning his ministry, We see in Matthew 3, 5, and 6 that John the Baptist was leading people in repentance and baptism, a different kind of baptism we know, but still the idea was confession and baptism. In verse 5 it says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins in front of one another. Acts 19 talks about it. One of my favorite stories in Acts that's not one of my favorites because it's like so biblically great per se or theologically great, but just because I love the story of the sons of Sceva. If you don't know that, read the whole chapter and uh, laugh out loud as you do because it's really there, really happened. 
But then after that, we see that it says that this thing that just happened with the sons of Sceva became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, verse 18 of chapter 19 Acts says, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. We see it all through history, church history. Augustine says the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. Martin Luther says, therefore, when I admonish you to confession, I am admonishing you to be a Christian. One of the main people in the Reformation 500 years ago is basically saying there that when I tell you to confess, I'm telling you just to be a Christian. That's part of what we do. It's part of who we are. And this word right here in 1 John, the very beginning, this kind of prelude is, as John begins under the leading of the power of the Holy Spirit leads right into to the main topic for discussion that's expounded throughout the rest of the time in 1 John when he starts in verse 5 and says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me pray for us. Father, I... I'm a man who needs to confess sin because I am a great sinner, Lord. I know that Paul, your servant, talks about being the chief of sinners, but Lord, when you reveal my sin, I feel much more a chief of sinners. Lord, today we see that confession is not only good for the soul, it's part of the way of Jesus. I pray you help us today. Help me, help our faith family to become more and more walking in the light. Help us to be not fearful or ashamed, but to cast that onto the cross that Jesus carried for us. And help us to begin becoming the confessional community that is Christ-centered so that we might see Jesus extolled and lifted in this place and even outside the walls. Lord, we ask that for our own souls, for your glory, and for Jesus' fame. Amen. This passage, I'm not going to unpack it to the total depths. That's part of the homework you've got. Use your study Bible, walk through all the pieces. I'm just going to hang on the major piece here, the, the, the overarching statement here in the middle that is the summation of what he's trying to get us to do is walking in the light. I think if you sum this up, you can say fellowship with God always includes walking in the light. It always includes walking in the light. We, however, don't like to do that fully because we're sinners. We don't like people to see our nitty-gritty, our dirt, our mistakes, our failures, our sins, because then they look at us, they look down upon us, we think they think differently about us, and we need to have a good reputation, we need to have a good something put forth, and it worries us. It's natural in our sinful state to worry about shame. But when he's talking here about that walking in the light is what our fellowship with God always includes, 
I think what he's saying, based off the context, that he means walking in the light means transparent about our sins. In other words, walking in the light means confessing our sins. We have to be willing to do that if we are who we say we are, if we call ourselves Christians. Look at verse 6 and 7, 5, 6, and 7. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So he is gloriously light. There's no darkness, no moral impurity. There's no fault. There's no anything to hide. There's no hiding in his presence. And verse 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we're a Christian, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say we have fellowship with God, if we say we're believers, and yet we're hiding in the darkness, and we say we have fellowship, John here, really the Holy Spirit here, is telling us that we lie and don't practice the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. So when I say that I think that means walking in the light is confessing our sins, here's why. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice verse 8 and verse 9 are almost mirror images. They're sandwiching in the negative. They're sandwiching the positive statement when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To make sure we're clear, being in the light doesn't mean we're sinless. That won't happen until Jesus comes back to take us home. That's what they call glorification, theologically. Being in the light means that we are sinners who are okay with our sin being exposed before others. There's reasons for that we're going to discuss today. Confession, though, is our part in that. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The way of Jesus always includes confessing our sins to God and to others. It always includes that. One pastor says that confession is this, agreeing with God about your sin and brokenness, knowing that he forgives, and bringing this honesty into your relationships with others, seeking their forgiveness as well. This passage says that we cannot have true Christian fellowship with God or one another without walking in the light, confessing our sins, and continually admitting our need for the Savior. That's what it means to confess our sins. I need a Savior. If we say we're Christians, it says, and yet walk in the darkness, then we're lying and not practicing the truth. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. It's hard. No matter what your estate, no matter what your job, no matter what your place in life, no matter who your family is, no matter who it is that you know is going to hear something and think differently about you, it's difficult to confess your sins. But that's why we have to pray, like this morning, that Lord, lead us in the paths of your righteousness for your name's sake. Help us to walk in the light, your light, for your glory, for your son's fame, that we might be cleansed from all our sin and have fellowship with one another. So I want to break down for us what I see all throughout scriptures. I've done my study over all the scriptures looking at the places where it talks about confessing sin. And I think there's three main aspects to biblical confession. And I know three, three points in a poem, that's the classic preacher thing to do. But I'm, 
as I've searched it over, these are the three main things I see that go together, that are connected about confessing sin. So I'm just going to break these down, and we're going to refer back to this passage as our kind of meat, but it's all over the Scripture. So the first one is this. Confess your sins to God. kind of goes without saying, you'd think. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when I sin, I don't always go to the Lord immediately. I may just try to put it behind me or not think about it or not even be aware of it. So we talked a lot last week about identifying that sin by examination, self-examination, asking God to reveal those things to us. Proverbs 28 says this in verse 13 and on. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So here's the question. I think many times we can say something, confessing sin to the Lord, but are we really understanding what's going on in that sin? Are we grieved by our sin? Personally, it's sometimes I'll say things to the Lord knowing I've done something wrong and it doesn't seem to grieve my soul very much. Do we recognize the complete revulsion that God feels toward our sin? It's not hard to find it. Psalm 5.5 says that God hates the workers of iniquity. Hates. Big word. Jeremiah 4.4, it talks about that our sins are an abomination to the Lord. He was revulsed by it so much that he had to kill his own son in order to absolve us of the sin and redeem us. He had to put the weight of our sin upon his own son. So it pleased him to crush him because when he saw him in that moment, he saw our sin all over him. He became our sin. That's how much it revulses God. So we need to ask God, like we talked about last week, to reveal the severity of our sin before such a holy God. We need to ask him to do that. And that's not fun to do, but it is good to do. It's not fun to think on our sin like we talked about last week, but it is good and healthy for us to do. Psalm 139, again, 23 and 24, like last week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Put me in the fire. Burn up all the dross so it can be scraped off of me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That way everlasting is the way of Jesus, and that way is of repentance and belief. And that repentance includes confession to God for your sins. So let us pray that it leads us to deep and sincere sorrow for our sin. Let us ask God to reveal that so he can lead us in that path of righteousness for his name's sake, for our betterment, for the holiness of his church. Psalm 38, 18 says, I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. Then let us repent of that sin. And be determined to fight such sin to the death in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's us repenting and believing. Believing in the gospel. Let me help us out here a little bit. Some of us are pretty easy at recognizing God's forgiveness. Some of us struggle with God's forgiveness. Some of us struggle with it in particular towards sins that we've committed even years ago that we still struggle with. Some of us struggle when others have committed sins toward us with recognizing God's forgiveness. It is difficult, and I'm not here to cheapen or lessen the the difficulty of that or the weight or the burden of it, but let me say that plainly in the context of the gospel. If we hold a sin over our own heads that we can't get over, 
And we keep going back to God for him to forgive us of a sin that he's already washed away, we've already confessed and repented of, that we are no, no, no longer endeavoring in. When we keep holding that over our own heads, what we're doing is not believing in the efficacy and power of the blood of Jesus. Let us repent, brothers. His blood is sufficient. His sacrifice is enough. Do not hold that sin over your head anymore. Believe on Jesus. Those words that he gave at the start of his ministry, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is repent and keep on repenting. Believe, keep on believing. Or like that man who said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Run back to the Lord and let us believe. You know, right after this passage in 1 John, he gets through saying, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. He goes right on and says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is, the, in other words, the sacrifice for our sins that has satisfied God's wrath toward us. He's paid the price in full. He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Some of you are really quick to forgive others, but you're not too quick to accept the forgiveness of the Lord or others for your sins. Today, brother and sister, rely on the advocate. Know that he paid it already, and it's sufficient. And we will sin. It is inevitable. It says it right here. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father. It is inevitable we'll sin because we are sinners by nature. But thanks be to God that when we do sin, we who have placed our hope in Jesus have an advocate. His name is Jesus. And he wants us to run to him again and find our hope in him. Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When he says, let us hold fast our confession, it's our confession is that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he died under the weight of our sins and that he has washed them away from us and that we are sinners, otherwise we don't need a Savior. We're confessing our sinfulness every time we confess that Jesus is our Lord. This is a part of our confession. And when we do that, we go to that high priest who doesn't not know how to sympathize with us, but who has been tempted in every way, every way but without sin. Praise the Lord, we have an advocate like that. Glory in the Christ. Make much of him, extol him. David even does that before he even knows exactly the face of Jesus. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the glory of the gospel for us as sinners. Let us be confessing to the Lord our sins and then repent and believe in the gospel.
Secondly, confess to the Lord. We then confess our sins to another Christian. To another Christian. And then also repent and believe in the gospel. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I believe the resistance we have to confessing our sins to one another is one of the greatest reasons for the apparent superficiality many people experience in the church today. That we are unable to talk about the real struggles. We're unable to be real with one another. Confession is not only good for the soul, but it's necessary for us to actually extol Jesus, to lift him up, to make much of him on a regular basis. For how great can Jesus seem to the world if his followers don't apparently need him or depend on him as their savior day to day? That's the truth of the matter. That's why I often make sure to say to myself and to others when I'm talking about evangelism, evangelism is not you knowing more than other people and being able to fix people into arguments that you can win. Evangelism is talking about your need for a Savior and how they might can connect to that and find their hope in Jesus too. It comes through being confessional. Confessing our sins to one another is at the heart of true Christian fellowship. Look back at this scripture again in 1 John chapter 1. Just start in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, in other words, if we walk in the light where Jesus is, where God the Father is, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. You think it's going to say with him, but instead it says we have fellowship with one another. You see, the path to true Christian fellowship, I think we oftentimes forget what fellowship means biblically. It doesn't just mean potlucks, which are great, right? Amen? It doesn't just mean going to the falls and hanging out or doing something here together on the playground. Or those are, that's part of fellowship. But true fellowship is carrying one another's burdens together. True fellowship is walking with one another, being confessional with one another, being gracious with one another. That's what true fellowship looks like. So when he says here, verse 6 again, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with one another as we confess our sins. Richard Foster says this about confession to bring a little light to it. Confession is a difficult discipline for us. It is a discipline, a practice. It's a difficult one for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. Dallas Willard, who's written a lot on the different disciplines, the practices, he says... Confession is a discipline that functions within fellowship. In it, we let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and failures. Notice he said trusted. It is part of it. When you confess to someone, you need to recognize you can trust them. But still he says, in it, we let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and failures. This will nourish our faith in God's provision for our needs through his people, our sense of being loved, and our humility before our brothers and sisters. Thus, we let some friends in Christ know who we really are, not holding back anything important, but ideally allowing complete transparency. We lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which normally takes up such a dreadful amount of human energy. We engage and are engaged by others in the most profound depths of the soul when we practice this discipline. It is not easy, but it is necessary. 
is a struggle. First Peter 2, 9, though, says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That means that we, as the body of believers, are a priesthood of believers. That means that together we are to be there to carry one another's burdens before the Lord. That's what priests do. And that we are to be there to help one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, says, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. It's good stuff. It's just expounding the scriptures that are even better. So here's what you need to do. You need to find someone who is spiritually mature, someone who is wise according to the Bible, that's compassionate, who has common sense, and has the ability to keep your confidence. They can keep things confidential so you can trust them. And you go to that person and you forge a relationship, maybe with two or three of them, and you have open conversations. Because when we confess our sins with one another, our struggles, our hurts, our hang-ups, our sins, that's when we find true transformative things happening in our lives. And then let us become someone who can be the brother or sister in Christ that someone might come to in order to confess sins. Making sure we listen well and point the confessor not to just get over things or move beyond it, but point them to the gospel. Look at the gospel for hope and forgiveness and peace. Here's what I often want to do when somebody confesses a sin or a struggle with me. Just out of my own self, I often want to say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's okay. That's not what scripturally we do. We point them to Jesus. Let God bring the heat. We don't bring the heat. Let God bring the heat, and then we point them to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus took that sin and died for it on the cross for you. He's your hope right now. He gave you his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to empower you not to commit that sin anymore. He's your hope now. That's the way of Jesus. Do not, as someone who's quick to speak, do not... Be quick to speak in those moments. Let the Holy Spirit work. And then lead them to Jesus. And let us become this someone, this is key, by recognizing that we are all great sinners, seeing the awfulness and the severity of our own sin. Bonhoeffer goes on in his great book, Life Together. He says, Anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men and of his own heart, will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. In other words, we're all apt to sin in any of these ways. He says, anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. So Father, help us to walk in the light and to confess our sins to one another so that the world might see our continual dependence upon your grace in Jesus. Lord, this is our prayer. This is the way of Jesus. So we confess our sins to God. We confess our sins to another or others. And then lastly, thirdly, confess your sins to those whom you have sinned against. And then repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. I'm not going to get much into this because we covered a lot of this about biblical conflict resolution a few weeks back right before the new year turned. Go back there, re-listen, hear those things about conflict. I'm not going to talk much about the conflict. I just want us to see about the confession. 
Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to those of old, Jesus talking, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I don't know if anywhere else in my life that I overlooked my need for confession to those I've offended more so than in my own home. It happens everywhere else. Everybody here has offended somebody at some point in time and not recognized it or, or forgot about it or thought, I'm just not going to address it. They probably did, they're probably not stewing on it. It's okay. They'll get over it. We've all thought that at some level with somebody before, whether we carried it out or not that way. But in our own homes, we oftentimes won't to just think that everybody gets over whatever we do. But I have found that some of the places where God has done the most transforming work in my heart, and I'm a chief of all sinners in my eyes, so I'm not saying that I'm above anybody. I'm way at the bottom here. But some of the most transforming work in my own lives is in God's convicting me of my sin towards my children or my wife and then leading me to confession in that. And as I was reading through some books and looking at how people talk about confession as a spiritual practice, one of them led me to these thoughts that were hinted at in the book. So I want to ask it in the form of a question, one that I ask myself regularly. As the most influential people in the lives of your children or grandchildren or in the lives of those who look to you like a parent, right? Will they grow up having never heard their parents actually admit to sin, demonstrating a contrite heart before God and others, and then repenting before God and them? Or said it like this, will your children grow up having never heard their parents offer an apology without making excuses or blaming someone else? Oftentimes I catch myself wanting to think, well, I was justified in something. And then as I pray and ask the Lord to reveal sin in my heart, he brings to my attention sins that I must address, particularly and often with my own family and my own children. It is glorious to watch the reconciliation happen. I've learned a lot about reconciliation from my kids. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed how quickly they forgive and get over. But in my home, my kids who were chaotically crazy sometimes and can get very angry with one another. When one of them confesses that they're sorry and asks for forgiveness, they quickly hug or sometimes we make them hug until they liked it and then they hug. And they get over it and go back right to where they were. If only in my own heart I could be that quick. I'm asking for it continually. But confessing our sins to another includes these three little parts, I think, when we've offended someone. One, you need to go and actually confess it to them. Maybe you don't know until they reveal it. And then if there is sin there, as you talk it through, you need to confess the sin and take ownership of it. I don't know about you guys, but I learned pretty quickly in marriage that the more words I say when I try to take ownership, the less ownership it seems to go across to my wife. <laughs> so once you confess sins and take ownership of it, you then ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry, will you forgive me? 
I'm sorry, can you forgive me? I'm sorry, will you give me forgiveness? Will you, will you do that? It doesn't mean they have to do it right then. They may need some time. But asking for forgiveness is part of what magnifies Jesus. It's part of what magnifies the Savior. You say, well, I'm ashamed. It's okay. Jesus bore our shame on the cross. You say, well, I don't, I don't like being seen like that. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't like being seen in that shame either. But he did it for us. It is not too much to say that we should do it for his glory. And once we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness... Then we seek reconciliation whenever possible. It's not always possible. Sometimes that person is gone. Sometimes that person doesn't want to hear it. In those cases, a lot of times the best thing you can do is try and then pray. Ask God to make it happen. But that seeking reconciliation is how we live out the gospel when we sin against each other. And here's, here's, here's how that happens. How does it point to the gospel? Jesus, who never did anything against us, who has only been sinned against by us, stepped out of eternity and became one of us to live the perfect life we can't live, but then also die the death of wrath that we deserve because of our sin that was laid upon his shoulders so that he could reconcile us to himself. That is the gospel. That is what the gospel means. It means reconciliation happening, not deservedly happening even, because we don't deserve reconciliation with the Father. We never will deserve it. No matter how good you think you have become, you will never deserve it. No matter how great you're better now than you were before, you will never be good enough to deserve the reconciliation. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the only one who deserved repentance toward. Instead, he reached out to reconcile. And that is what we need to do. Again, you can't make somebody reconcile with you. It can't happen. You can't force it. Just like you can't force somebody to love you. But we need to try to reconcile it. So don't just think, I can't, I oftentimes remember, I can't just say, when I'm praying at night with my children and the Lord brings sin to my mind wherever I need to repent, I will often, in that moment, ask God for forgiveness before my children and then I will stop and ask them for forgiveness. Lord, would you please forgive me for when Daddy was angry earlier without cause and was angry in sin. Would you forgive me, Lord? Kids, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Yes, Daddy, we love you. Sometimes one of them takes a little longer to get over it, you know? That's when oftentimes I'll try to seek that reconciliation a little bit more. But this is what it means to walk in the light. It's not easy, but it's by nature who we are if we're a Christian. It's who we're becoming if we're a Christian. 1 Timothy 6.12 says it again, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So fight for the fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. Take hold of the good confession, which includes Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for our sins because I'm a sinner. Our confession of belief in Jesus always includes our confessing that we are sinners who need grace and a Savior. 
This is the way of Jesus, confessing our sins to God and others for his glory and for Jesus' fame. So let us walk in that way. You see, how's it the way of Jesus? Look, Jesus didn't sin. How's that the way of Jesus? Because of this. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, he confessed to the world, I am sin for you. I am your sin right now on the cross. He said to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In your hands I commend my spirit. He died. It was finished. It's finished. But our work is not yet. So let us be like Jesus. Let me end on this passage again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father, would you help us to walk in the light? Help us to walk in the way of Jesus. Help us to learn how to confess our sins to you and to one another Lord, show us the path to reconciliation and to grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, even as we need to deal with our own selves and forgiving ourselves for things. Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every single hour we need you. Help us to be a confessional people that makes much of Jesus by showing how great our need is for him. I'm not going to say amen yet. Keep your eyes closed for a second, if they're closed. I'm going to ask Justin, just off the cuff here, to y'all just give us a little bit of quiet music like you're doing. And I want you in here to take a moment. I want us to take a moment. Pray that Psalm 139, search me, O God. Try me and test me. Know my thoughts. Ask the Lord to give you clarity on anything that you need to confess. And then take a moment to confess to him where you're in sin. And then repent and believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to play for just a moment while we do that. Take your time. Our altar is open if you feel like you need to do that. If God presses on your heart to do that, do it that way. But you can be right where you are, in your living room, in your chair, in a seat in here. But let us seek the Lord and confess our sins.
Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.